Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. In this episode, we'll be in John, Matthew chapter 11, not John, whoops. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, yes, we finished with chapter 10 finally, and so we're moving on. We're reaching the third narrative section of Matthew. So if you remember the structure of the book, we've got the first four chapters were narrative, so we're 8 and 9, so too are 11 and 12. The sermons are 5 through 7 and chapter 10. We've just finished with this second sermon, a sermon dedicated to the apostles, trying to inspire them to go out and teach. And we're going to see the results of that in just a moment. So starting in Matthew chapter 11, right, no need to go back and talk about what just happened. We spent uh, quite a few uh, sessions talking about that. Let's just start right into chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Then, uh, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. You see, Jesus has finished his, his instruction. That's what the first verse says. He's preached to his apostles, and now he sends them off. They've got a job to go and do. And so sometime while they're gone, maybe, maybe after they return, but I think it's while they're gone. I'm not sure exactly when they come back. While they've left, Jesus moves on to go and teach himself. Jesus doesn't ask the apostles to do anything that he's not willing to do. The disciple is not greater than his master, and this master is going to go through all the same things that they are going to go through. All of the persecution that he's talked about, well, he's going to have it worse than anybody else. And so he can inspire them with his words, but not just his words, his actions line up as well. So Jesus goes to teach. He starts to teach and preach in their towns, in the towns around that area. Now, we're introduced, or rather reintroduced, to a special character in the book of Matthew. His name is John, or John the Baptist. We saw him in chapter 3. And we see him here in chapter 11, and then we see him briefly in chapter 14, although it's more to let us know that he's dead now than anything else. You know, oh, sorry, spoilers, by the way, if you uh, didn't know that that was coming. And here he is in chapter 11, right? John is not a significant figure in most of Matthew. He does not impact a whole lot in the book of Matthew. Read the book of Luke, very different story, but also a very different emphasis. And so John, he's, he's had his effect, right? He came to teach. He came to lead some people to Jesus. He had his effect, and now apparently he's in prison in verse 2. That's what it says. And so he sends a message via disciple. This message is it's pretty simple. A simple question for Jesus to answer. Are you the person we were waiting for, or should we keep on waiting? Now, this question can be taken one of two rather different ways, and it's up to you on how you interpret that. We're not given the voice tone, 
right? We're not explained what he's thinking exactly, and so we don't know. But here are your two interpretive ways to take that. The, the, uh, the pessimistic side says, are you really the, the person that we prophesied about? I mean, like, uh, sure, John, John, John would say, you know, I know that I called you the Lamb of God, and I know that I testified to you and told everybody that you were uh, who we thought you were. You were the Messiah, but I haven't really seen anything about it. I haven't really gotten any uh, response from that. I haven't gotten any confirmation. So are you really the person I thought you were? Maybe John's looking for validation. The other way to take this, the more optimistic way, and the way I think the, the way the rest of the passage reads, I feel like this is the way we're supposed to take it. Here's the optimistic way. John saying, hey, disciples, you should go to this guy and check if he is the Messiah, right? You should go and ask this guy if he's the Messiah because, you know, Sometimes John does that, and the people he sent don't come back. They just keep following this Messiah character, right? Sometimes John would, uh, John did this. I believe it's Andrew. I believe it's Andrew. I could be wrong on that, where John um, tells a couple of disciples to go, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And a couple of his disciples leave and follow Jesus instead. I believe that is Andrew and, and someone else. And so John could well be saying, hey, there's somebody important I want you to meet. Uh, here's, the, uh, here's the disguise for how you meet him. You go and ask him who he is. And when you hear, hopefully you'll stay. Hopefully you'll listen to that. I don't know which, which way you want to take that. I don't really know that it matters, but I also think for continuity and for what this passage is about, I do think that it's supposed to be taken in the optimistic way that he's trying to teach people about who Jesus is. Now, Jesus, right, right, the, the disciples of John get to Jesus, and Jesus is, I guess, like standing there in some town um, in a public place, I imagine. Uh, based off of verse 7, he seems to just turn and speak to the crowds that are there. So he's in some kind of public place. He's approached by uh, a couple, a few disciples. And the disciples say, hey, are you really who you say you are? Are you really that important? Are you really the Messiah who's coming to save? And Jesus says, you know what you hear and see? Right, look at verse 4. Do, do you know what you hear and see? You know, think about what you can see. You can see people who couldn't see but can now see. You can hear people who couldn't hear but can now hear. You can walk around and examine those who couldn't walk but now they can walk. You have all of the proof that you need of who I am when I say... Uh, when when others call me the son of god or, or when others call me the messiah when others when others say that i do these amazing things yes i do here's your proof of it the blind receive their sight the lame now walk those with leprosy are now cleansed the deaf can now hear the dead are now raised right all of these amazing miracles all of these just spectacular ideas that all fit together blind people 
can't see, but now they can. The lame people cannot walk, but now they can. The deaf people cannot hear, but now they can. Dead people are dead, but now they're not. And the lost people are lost, but now they're not. Do you see the most important of these signs that Jesus is doing? It's all nice that he can resurrect people. It's all nice that, that the, the, the leprous are now cleansed, that the paralytic or the lame person can walk. It, it's really cool that blind people aren't blind anymore. But you know, none of that really matters if the poor ain't told the good news. And that's what the, that's what the point is. Right, that's what he's doing currently. That's what Jesus is doing with John's disciples, preaching the good news. This is what he's doing to the people around him, the crowds around who are listening to him as well. This is what he's just sent his 12 apostles off to do. And this is what we are supposed to be doing today. The poor are told the good news. You know the greatest, the, the greatest actions that God takes? Not necessarily the most flashy, not necessarily the most miraculous actions, but in a way, the poor being preached to, the lost being told the gospel is miraculous. Nobody else can do what God can do. And so it might not look like much, but it is very, very special, incredibly unique, and cannot be replicated the, the truth of the gospel cannot be replicated by any human being. But we do have the ability to display it and the responsibility to. And so Jesus says, hey, yeah, you see all this, you see all this stuff that's happening? Do you see everything that's going on right now? Don't be offended by me. Right? You see everything that's going on. Is that not enough for you to believe? Don't walk away offended. Don't be scared of what's here. Jesus never claims here to be this Messiah, but it's pretty clear through what he's emphasizing that yes, yes, he is, and God has enabled him to do all this work. Let's look at verse 7. Verses 7 through 11, jo uh, not John. Sorry, John comes up a lot in this section. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 7. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so here we have John turning into an object lesson, almost. It's weird to think about it like that. But this is what's going on here. 
the disciples of John leave. I, I I hope they went back to John. I'm not really sure. I well, I hope they stayed with Jesus, but they obviously didn't. And, and so they're leaving. Jesus turns to the crowds that are right there, and he starts talking about John. He's already on the subject. Might as well continue it. And he says, you know, why do you go out to the wilderness? Why go to the desert? There's not really a good reason to go to the desert ever. So why did you do it? Did you go out to see a, a reed in the wind? Did you go out to see something that nature made? No, you don't go to a desert to do that often, right? It, well, maybe we do, but that's, yeah, okay, maybe that's a bad example. We don't go out into the desert for fun. Not usually. And so did they, did they take all that time off their work? Did they take all that time away from their families? Did they take all that, that effort of walking around, of traveling into a deserted place to try and find this guy? Did, you, did they do that just for fun? Did they do that just because of something that nature made there, the reed in the wind? No, no, you didn't do that. You didn't go see what nature made. All right, maybe you went to see a man of fine breeding. Maybe you went to see a man of, of good quality. Well, they got a man of good quality, but not in that sense. You, you know, fancy people don't belong in the desert. You obviously didn't go out there to see that. No, no. So what did you go out to see? Did you go to see nature? No, you didn't. Did you go to see those nurtured? No, you didn't do that either. But you did go to see a prophet. A prophet and not just a prophet, but more than a prophet. John is unique as an individual. He's not just another reed. He's not just another man in, in finery. He's a prophet, and he's, he's so much more than a prophet. Jesus says, you went for something different. Think about what sense John is unique. You know, in these days, uh, what do we want to estimate? Like 30 AD, maybe? 30 of the common era, if you use that uh, dating system. If you use these days, um, 30 AD, and you add about, you know, uh, 530-ish years, 540 years from the end of Malachi and the end of the Old Testament, what are you looking at? Five, 550 up to 570 years? 570 years without a prophet, and now you have a prophet. That's pretty unique, right? Uh, no, it isn't like the time of the other prophets where you had Hosea and you had Amos, uh, not in that order. You had Amos, you had Hosea, you had Isaiah at that point, you had Micah around then as well. You move on a little bit. You've got um, all, all of the other ones in quick succession. Haggai and Zechariah prophesying at, at exactly the same time. You don't have that here. No, John is by himself, right? He is the one prophet until Jesus comes on the scene. And so he's very, very unique. Why did they go see him? Because he's something special. He's something different, and they don't get that much anymore. But that's not the only reason that he's unique. That's not the only reason that he's special. Look at verse 10. Right, in, in verse 9, yes, I tell you more than a prophet, because this is about, I'm adding the because, but I think it fits, because this is about, this is one about whom it is written. He's a prophet that's prophesied, right? Think about it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, D Daniel, and Ezekiel. 
think about Hosea or Amos or Habakkuk or Nahum or, or Micah or Malachi. Think about any of these prophets. How many of them are prophesied? Well, not really any of them. Moses said, you're going to have a prophet like me. And so, okay, there's, a, uh, there's, there's one prophet there. That's Jesus. So Jesus is prophesied, but the only prophet who's prophesied that I know of is John the Baptist. He's attested to in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, that's what Jesus is quoting in verse 10. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And Malachi ends in, in a, a proclamation of someone coming, someone coming to prepare the way, someone coming to lead before the Lord. And so John is, obviously, he is that leader. Therefore, here's Jesus's conclusion at the end of that, in, in verse 11. Here's his conclusion at the end of all of that. You want to talk about humanity? You got John, and then you got everybody else afterwards. And John is better than anyone else. Why? Because he's a prophet. He's special. He's very, very special. God talked about him. He's the only prophet where that happens. Respect John. But. But no, we have an issue here. Because in, 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 on, on earth, right, those born of women, on earth, nobody greater than John the Baptist exists. Either, I think he's talking in the present or in the past, nobody better than John exists. But you get in the kingdom and you're better than John. Because if you want to think about it like this, I think this might be the most helpful way to think about it. You think about the old law and everything that's inherent in it. Um, Moses categorizes it, right? Moses definitely categorizes the old law, the law of Moses. That's what we call it sometimes, right? And so you could say, oh, Moses is, is the heart of this. But really... John is, is representative of the law in a whole different way. You think about how Paul talks about the law in Galatians, the law being a, a tutor or a school teacher or a, a guardian or whatever you want to call it. Okay, within reason. Whatever you want to call it within reason. This, this guardian that's supposed to bring us to Christ, that's supposed to point the way to Jesus and... Uh, that's the old law's job. What's John's job? It's exactly the same thing, right? John is the epitome of the old law. He lives under it. He has to live under it. He is Jewish, um, and he dies before Jesus does, obviously. He's going to die in chapter 14, and so, uh, you know, he lived, he lived his entire life under this law. There's nothing he can do to get out of it, and he obeys, he is fully entrenched in the law, and he's using the law to its full effect to point people to God coming. He's fulfilling prophecy in that. He's fulfilling the law in that. He's finishing, like, he's, he's finishing educating these Jews on what the law is for by pointing out, hey, it's to point you towards God. Here is the God that's coming. No one is greater than John the Baptist. He is the old law. If you want to pin it down to one individual, 
He didn't give that law, but man, he sure sold it. But when you get in the new covenant, the old one doesn't matter. Right? The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. When you get in the old, when you get in the new covenant, the old stuff doesn't matter. It's cool, but ultimately it's just there to get you towards the new one. And so you get in the you get in the new one, and even if you're low, low down on the hierarchy, for whatever hierarchy there is, right? Think about it. Even if you're the lowest of the low in the new covenant, you're still above anyone in the old covenant. You're more blessed. You've got God's direct revelation more so. You've got Jesus himself as your example. You've got just all of the grace that God is giving in the New Testament. Not that he didn't in the old, but it's so much more apparent in the new. So which one do you want to be? Do you want to follow John or do you want to follow Jesus? Kingdom of heaven, or those born of women, right? Do you want to be in heaven, or do you want to be on earth? Though That's the drastic difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. The old covenant was great, but the new covenant so, so much better. And so to go along with that, look at verse 12. Look at this, the third section we're going to go into today. And yes, I know this is going a little bit longer than normal, but I'll talk about that more at the end. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears... Listen, you want to talk about following John or following Jesus, following the old covenant versus the new covenant, following the the old law, the Mosaic law versus the law of grace? Think about verse 12. Very, very weird verse, and I'm not exactly sure what this is going for, but I think, I think I'm on to something. I think. Let me explain it and, and try to see if you agree with it. You don't have to, but I think this is the best explanation, at least the best explanation I can come up with for it. Okay, I'll stop stalling and get to the explanation itself. Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now. John John representing the old covenant, right? Um, but specifically, specifically think about this individual. John the Baptist, what was he doing with the kingdom of heaven? He was giving it to people, right? He, he's trying to bring people to Christ. And part of what he's doing, I think about John, I think about he's the, he's the forerunner. He proclaims repentance, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his message. And he baptizes for forgiveness of sins. And so you think about all of those people who got baptized. How many of them were trying to actually convert to a different religion? How many of them were actually like caring that there was a message that's being spoken? Versus how many of them would you think were just coming to John because it's something to do? It's something novel. It's something unique. He's not a reed. He's not a guy in, in soft, fancy clothes. No, he's something cool. And so we're going to go out and see him. He's a spectacle that we can take part of. 
forcing our way into the kingdom. Sure, I'm going to get baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm not going to do anything with that, but I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to join this kingdom. I'm going to be part of it, but I'm not actually going to work for it. Do you see what do you see how that could be construed as as the kingdom suffering violence? The people are forcing their way in. They've been seizing the kingdom by force, getting baptized, trying to get themselves forgiven so that God has to accept them. Or maybe you want to think about the old law. In general, people can obey the old law, and then God's obligated to give them blessings, right? People can offer the sacrifices, and then obviously God has to give back to them. People have been seizing it by force forcing their way into the kingdom of heaven. But that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. That's not how that works. See, they're trying to do it under John, under the old covenant, under John himself. They're trying to force their way into the kingdom of heaven. Little do they realize, John's not in charge of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is, God is, but John is not. And so why would you try to force your way into that kingdom, right? Why would you try to force your way in in that way when you could just join the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is proclaiming? Even if you're greatest in the old covenant, even if you are the greatest, which you can't be because John's already the greatest, but okay, you're the second greatest, the kingdom is better than that you cannot force your way into it you cannot get into it you can try you can go through john but that's not going to get you many places no jesus is the one who's able to do everything with the kingdom he's in charge of it and so we drop back to verse four through six you see all that proof right we drop back to uh, chapters 8 and 9, you see all the proof there, all of the wonderful things that Jesus is doing, all of the teaching that accompanies it, 5 through 7 in chapter 10. Who are you going to follow? Jesus or John? That's a question asked of the disciples in the early part of chapter 11. That's the question asked of the crowds. Why did you go out to see John? And that's a question asked of us. Do we want to follow Jesus? Or do we want to follow something else? For us, it's probably not specifically the old law, but but what else is there? What else is there that is greater than John? I'm going to argue nothing. And I'm also going to argue that the kingdom of heaven is a whole lot greater than even John is. So listen. Anyone who has ears, you better listen. People need to go to Jesus. You can't go through John. You can't get into the kingdom through violence. You can't force your way in. No, God God has control of the door key. And he's going to let people in if he's going to let people in. Go to Jesus. That's the answer. I think that's the emphasis of this chapter. Again, I think that's why John sends his disciples in the first part of this. He says, hey, you need to go to Jesus. You need to figure out who this guy is. You need to find him for yourself. And so uh, go ask him these questions. Are you the one who is to come? 
because John knows how Jesus is going to answer that. John knows that Jesus is going to say, yes, I am, follow me. I think that's why John sent them in the first place. Matthew chapter 11, it starts out, sure, we're talking about preaching in chapter 10. We're talking about preaching Jesus. Well, why should we preach Jesus over the old law? Here's why. Because Jesus is better than that. You want corroboration on that? Look at the book of Hebrews. Right, Read the book of Hebrews. That's really the entire focus of that book, is how much better Jesus is than the old covenant. And that's what we're talking about here as well. So we'll pick up from there. We'll pick up in verse 16 and move on. Ooh, an exciting parable coming up there. Or maybe it's not. Who knows? We'll talk about that for next time. And I'll try to figure out what's going on there before I start talking about it. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope it's been helpful for you. Yeah, I know this I know that this episode is a bit longer than the normal ones. What's going on with my workload is I have a whole lot of stuff that I need to be doing, a whole lot of school and and um, like social responsibilities, obligations really, that I need to fulfill. And this recording is on the side. It's just for fun. Um, not, not exactly for fun, but it's, it's extra credit, right? I'm just doing it because I can do it. And I don't have the ability, I don't have the time or the space to record twice a week reliably. And so I think what I'm going to do is try to only record once. And if I only record once a week, I can go a little bit longer than I typically do. And so maybe I'll do once a week, half an hour instead of twice a week, 20 minutes each time. Um, Maybe that'll work a little bit better for me. I hope that that's okay with you as well. If there's something better I can do, if you prefer the shorter lengths to the longer one, by all means, let me know. Um, Email me, get in touch with me. However, let me know um, so that I can remedy that so that I can make something that's helpful to you guys. It's not just for my fun. It's not for my benefit that I'm doing this. Although that helps. That, that's, certainly, um, that's certainly a good thing to come out of this. This is meant to help other people as well. And so whatever I can do, let me know, please. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope it's benefited you, given you some things to think about maybe. And hope to see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.